you guys need to remind me that I want to talk about business at the end. Don't let me forget. Okay. I wrote it down. Okay. On a page that I'm about to turn. Uh, probably business. Business. I wrote down the word business. Business. Perfect. <laughs> Welcome back to Podcast Movement Sessions Season 2. I'm your host, Joel Sharpton, and those voices you just heard were Jonathan Oakes, along with Carmela, Chris, and Ben, the crew behind Trivial Warfare. We're going to hear a lot about their story, actually, in this episode. And there's more. That was a very, very energetic uh, interlude, especially given that I'm going to be talking about genocide. Serious. A little nervous about it, but there's a point. I don't have any talk about genocide for you, I'm afraid. Uh, I do have some more from that guy, though. That's Alex Bloomberg, and I've got a lot about business. You guys need to remind me that I want to talk about business at the end. Let's start with Jonathan Oakes. I met Jonathan at Podcast Movement 2015 in Fort Worth. He was already the host and creator of Trivial Warfare, we like to tell people that we are the podcast that takes the pub quiz out of the pub and brings it home to you. Now here's your host, Jonathan Oakes. Maybe you recognize that voice. Jonathan is a client of mine, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the business that I've built around podcasting later. But let's hear Jonathan's story first. Our show recreates the experience of going out to a pub quiz. We have a full-on game. It's essentially a game show where people are competing, uh, answering trivia questions to win the game. The key difference between our show and a lot of other trivia shows is that we like to chatter and there's banter and there's laughter and we pick on each other and there's jokes. It's not all about questions and answers. It's more about having a good time with your friends and happening to play a trivia game while you're doing that. When I realized the cross-promotion opportunity that we had with this show, being a trivia show, you have at least two people going head-to-head, and typically a host. I remember at Podcast Movement 15, we had Pod Vader, Jay Soderberg from Blog Talk Radio, and Ramona Rice from Blog Talk Radio team up, and I put them up against uh, Corey Fennerin from Ivy Envy and Nick Suberling, uh, who's now doing the Cincinnati Soccer Talk podcast. And so I had four sports podcasters team up with each other and go head-to-head, two-on-two. We got we did a f- sports-focused show, nothing but sports, and it gave each one of them the chance to, A, show what they could do, and B, have a chance to cross-promote with each other's audience. So it's not just me cross-promoting with them, but by picking two podcasters in the same arena, we were able to do a three-way cross-promote and have, in this case, it was actually a five-way cross-promote, having each group's audience find out about other cool shows in that same genre. You never really know what that cross-promotion is going to do. I can tell you that one of my favorite listeners, the guy that I invited to host our 100th episode, became a fan of Trivial Warfare because he heard about it from Nick Zuberling after that show. That kind of result makes me look at every crossover opportunity and realize it is an opportunity. Even if it's just one listener who finds you and starts listening to you regularly as a result of that crossover, 
that one listener might bring you a thousand listeners in the future. Uh, so I, I do not take it for granted. Uh, and I definitely like the opportunity to help my listeners find other shows and putting people against each other with similar audiences so they can each have their audience discover the others. Uh, but one of the things that we've done differently that I'm proud of is, and it's going to sound silly, but we've crossed over with our listeners. We've all been told, hey, word of mouth is the best way to grow. But how do you force somebody to share? You know, how do you how do you make that happen? For quite a few months at this point, I've been bringing on a listener in almost every game. And so that listener is a part of the show. It's not just a minute. It's not just saying their name on the air, which we do that plenty. We literally have them as a participant on the full show. And those guys want everybody they know to listen to that show. And it motivates them to share it. We had an absolutely massive spike of downloads in the month of December. Late November, early December, we doubled our audience for the month. Literally, if you take the total downloads we were averaging per month before that, double it for a full month. And and it slowed back down now after the holidays kind of broke it up. But it's because we had a listener that was our guest that week who's a fan of a show called the Matt and Mattingly Ice Cream Social Podcast, which apparently is a big deal, uh, or at least they have a lot of influence over their fans. So when he told that group about it and they talked about it or shared it with their audience, uh, it literally blew up our downloads for a full month. And it was because we are crossing over with our listeners. Jonathan had a very good show almost immediately. And he had a pretty good hook early on. But it's just in the last year or so that it's turned into a business. Our first direct advertising opportunity at Trivial Warfare was with Loot Crate. Uh, Loot Crate was presented to us um, through Blog Talk Radio, which is our uh, podcast network. And it was a direct sales opportunity. We would run ads and we would promote whatever the Loot Crate was that month, whatever their theme was, and talk to our audience about it. They'd have a lootcrate.com backslash TWA page that they would go to and they'd use TWA's coupon code and they'd get a little discount. And uh, it went obscenely well the first month and pretty well for the next four or five months after that. But we had, at that time, we were able to... Um, convert more than 10% of our audience. By the end of that four or five month period, we had converted almost 20% of our full audience at that time. Now, back then, our audience was still relatively small, but I mean, we're talking about hundreds of conversions. And that when you're talking about $15 a pop for every conversion, that added up really fast. That was the first time we saw any real money uh, coming in from the show. And it really convinced me of the power of um, syncing up what you're advertising with what kind of things your audience would like. When you're dealing with people who like trivia, you're dealing with people who like kind of nerdy stuff a lot of times. You know, we like comic books or we like movies or pop culture or whatever the case is. And that's the audience that Loot Crate caters to. So 
it was a really good match made in heaven there, and uh, the results were, were incredible. Jonathan hired me in February of 2016 to be the voice for his intro and outro for Trivial Warfare. That's one of the things that I do in my business these days, but I'll get to me in a minute. First, let's get back to Alex Bloomberg at last year's podcast movement in Chicago. There's comedy, uh, absolutely. Since we're in Chicago, I, I chose a, a Chicago-based Hello from, uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern. Anybody familiar with it? Um, just as an aside, just as an aside, one of the things, this isn't the main point, this isn't the genocide part. One of the main points of, uh, that I think, that I love about podcasts in this world, what this enables, this, this sort of regular time-shifted listening experience enables, is that you can have these things that just sort of become jokes that grow on themselves, you know? And like, after a while, you're like, oh, I'm waiting for it, I'm waiting for it, I'm waiting for it. And, what, and Hello from the Magic Tavern is one of those. So the idea of Hello from the Magic Tavern, just as a quick aside, it's a fictional podcast where the host, Arnie Niekamp, the conceit is that he's fallen through a dimensional porthole behind a Burger King into a magic land called Foon, but he uh, has a Wi-Fi signal from the Burger King through which he does his podcast every week. And uh, he does the podcast from a, a, a tavern called the Vermilion Minotaur. This will all be worth it, I hope. From a, a tavern called the Vermilion Minotaur, and he's joined each week by these two guests in the land of Foon, Shunt, the talking badger, and the wizard, Usador. And he does it every single time. He does that intro every single time, and Shunt comes on every single time, and the wizard, Usador, comes on every single time, and this is how he introduces himself every single time. And I am Usador, wizard of the twelfth realm of Ephesius, master of light and shadow, manipulator of magical delights, devourer of chaos, champion of the great halls of Tarakas. The elves know me as Fiang Yalak, the dwarves know me as Zodan and Hukstangis, and I am known in the northeast as Gasmuenius Maestar. And there may be other secret names that I shall ne'er reveal. Every time. 60 episodes. Never gets old to me. Uh, all right. So clearly, if, if, my, if my first slide wasn't proof enough, that should be proof that we are at the dawn of a new golden age of audio. Um, and we're just at the beginning. And just as a reminder, the first golden age of audio looked like this. Um, it was uh, in, the, in the 30s and 40s, and it, it was when every major talent in, in, in the world came to the radio to, to do their thing. There were talk shows, there were comedy shows, there were dramas, there was The Lone Ranger and The Shadow, and a lot of very famous people got their start in radio. Bob Hope, Groucho Marx, uh, Orson Welles, all started on radio. Um, big companies, NBC, CBS, ABC, all started on radio in the golden age of radio, right? And then TV came along. And so you see that girl sitting there, right? This is what families would do. They would gather around the radio and sit and listen and look at the radio. And then the TV came along, which is a much better thing to look at because <laughs> it has moving pictures on it. Uh, and so that sort of wiped away the radio. And like all this amazing sort of flowering of talent and excitement and innovation that was happening in this medium sort of went by the wayside. And then it was just basically music and talk. And everything went to TV. Now we're back. Right now, because we are now able to listen while we do other things, you can't do that with any other medium. You can't drive and watch, at least until self-hiring cars come along. You can't work out and, and, re, and watch. You can't, you can't run errands and read an article. You can, do all, you can listen to audio doing all that. And that is what has enabled this, this golden age. And that is great for me, because I believe that audio is better at certain things than any other form of media. And boy, did he bet big on it. 
Alex Bloomberg, in case you've never listened to a Gimlet Media podcast, is the CEO of Gimlet. He's also a former NPR guy, working on This American Life and creating Planet Money. Now he's at the head of his own media empire on the bet that this golden age of audio lasts for quite a while. In this episode, we're focusing on people who've built or are building businesses in and around podcasting. And we're going to have more of these stories to tell throughout season two. But first, I wanted to share my story. I've been in radio since 2003, and I've been podcasting since 2012. As soon as I launched my first show, I realized this medium was perfect for me. The question was, how could I afford to do more of it? In January 2016, I started my own business, thinking I'd be primarily a voice artist. But the market gave me a different answer. I was flooded with requests to edit and produce podcasts. The voice jobs continue, and they're just as great as I always imagined they would be. But editing and producing podcasts for businesses and individuals has literally paid my bills for a year and change now. There's no arguing with that. It's called The Pivot. And maybe no one has so successfully pivoted as Aaron Mankey. Aaron is a writer and the creator and host of Lore, the bi-weekly reason that I can't get to sleep at night. He's also a burgeoning music critic. Two things. First, thank you for getting up early and coming in. And second, whoever is in room 968, I heard you singing in the shower this morning. And it wasn't good. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> now does seem like a good time to remind you to book your room at the Anaheim Marriott, the location of this year's podcast movement. That's right, we're going to be in Uncle Walt's backyard, and at least a few of us are going to be visiting the happiest place on earth while we're there. But if you want the opportunity to annoy podcast award winners like Aaron Mankey, you're going to want to book that room. Get your reservations for the Anaheim Marriott, our host hotel for 2017, with a great group rate, by the way, at podcastmovement.com. I like to tell people that I'm a writer because at the core level of everything that I do as a storyteller on a podcast, it's writing. Uh, and as I tell you my story, you'll see more of that writing aspect in there. But for all intents and purposes, I'm a writer. Most people know me as the creator of lore. Why me? So why am I here on the stage talking about how to get paid as a podcaster? There's a lot of sessions on making money, and all of them have their own methods, their own goals. And I want you to understand that I don't think that what I'm going to tell you today is the end-all be-all. This isn't the golden rule. This is my story and the things that I do. And so my hope is that as I dig into these, that you're going to find a nugget here and another helpful piece here. And those things will help push you to the next level. All right. I'm going to talk about money. Okay. For some people, money is this weird thing. And I don't want you to think that I'm talking about padding my wallet or getting a fat bank account or, or about greed, okay? Money to me is about freedom. It's about freedom. You, if we can make enough money each month from our shows, we have the freedom to do our shows full time. I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? To, to work on your show, your passion project, 24-7. Well, and it, it, it'll end up becoming 24-7, so that's not a good thing all the time. So um, a little bit else. I started in March of last year. So like a birthday, I'll never forget, March 18th of last year, and that's the first day that Laura went out. I think iTunes might show the 17th because of some metadata issues, but it was the 18th. By month five, I was earning an income that paid the bills for myself and my family of my wife and my two kids. <clears throat> we live in the North Shore of Boston, um, and it's one of the more expensive areas of the country to live in. And by month five, I was, I feel like I have to clarify this. 
I hear a lot of people say I'm a full-time podcaster. And I don't want to take away from any of that. But sometimes that means I make enough money to buy comic books and live in my mom's basement. And th that's awesome if it means that your podcasting can support your lifestyle. I just happen to support a family doing it. And I think that's the goal, right? I mean, that's, that's the goal, is to be able to take what you do as a day job and toss it out the window and replace it with this thing. So I want to clarify that. I guess I want to clarify this. Maybe that's not your goal. The beauty of podcasting is that it really is all things to all people. It can be as much or as little as you make of it. Maybe your goal isn't to replace your day job and become an independent creator. If it is, then obviously Podcast Movement has a lot to offer you. But whatever your goal is, whatever your level of skill is, Podcast Movement has something just right for you. In 2017, that's going to be even better with conference tracks from creation, technical, industry, to marketing. Beginners, veterans, Hall of Famers, we're ready for all of you. But that's in August. Right now, let's get back to Chicago and Aaron Mankey. So I did this thing last year. I got the month five. I was supporting myself through podcasting and getting sponsors and growing the income. And I thought 2016 is coming up. What I want to do, I want to see if I can sell all of my 2016 spots before the year starts. And so I did the math. I do three sponsor spots per episode. They're all post-roll at the end. I dictated the terms and said, I'm not doing mid-roll. I'm not doing pre-roll. And then I do every other week. So 26 episodes times three, 78 spots. I had 78 ad spots to sell, and I sold them out in two weeks. It was crazy. And what this did for me is it let me look at 2016 and say, I'm not going to have to worry. This is my job now. This is my job. And now I can focus on the little things. I can tweak these levers. I can try this. I can do that. It bought me freedom. And then in April, we were able to go public. By month six, actually, I had multiple TV offers on my desk. I was looking at about two dozen different production companies that wanted to work with me. Because they thought that Lore was just this great intellectual property that could become something bigger on a screen. So I worked with uh, a couple production companies throughout the months of the autumn and into the spring. And we were finally able to go public in April with the fact that there's two production companies. One is called Propagate. They're um, also responsible for recently announced their, the first original content from Apple, actually, um, that's in development. And they're, they're the forces behind that. And then Valhalla is another company. They happen to make this little tiny show that nobody's ever heard of called The Walking Dead. And uh, Gail Ann Hurd, who's the, the president and the head of the company there, is, she's a legend in the entertainment industry. Probably one of the most powerful women in the industry. And I'm in fantastic hands. So all of that to say, this has been fun. It's been a lot of fun. So where did it all start? I'm going to tell you my story very quickly because for two reasons. One is I think that people connect to story, right? I'm a storyteller. That's what I do. I think a lot of you guys, you tell stories. So uh, we connect around stories. And stories help us in a couple of ways. One is that you're going to see glimpses of your own path in my path. And that's really encouraging when you can see that, wow, I've gone through that too, or I've experienced that challenge as well. That's powerful. And then at the same time, you can look at where I've gone and say, I have hope. You know, I have a possibility here. There's encouragement in this. So really briefly, I was a freelance designer for about eight and a half years. I worked for myself from home. So in the grand scheme of things, I wasn't in cubicle land. I wasn't commuting an hour each way to work. My commute was up a flight of stairs to the third floor. But I was working for myself, and it's, it's a grind. If, are there any freelancers here in the room? Oh, man, you know that grind, right? You work your tail off all month long to pay the bills, and then at the end of the month, you do, and then your bank account's empty, and you have to start over. 
And I did that for eight and a half months. And while I was doing design work, I was writing. I've, I've been in, interested in writing since, I don't know, maybe 10 years old, fifth grade or so, always on the weird side of stories. And uh, I started writing novels um, a few years ago and self-publishing them. So the, the cool thing about self-publishing is you have complete control over your content, right? You have control over who gets it and how much you charge and your royalties, your income possibilities are limitless. But you're also solely responsible for marketing your stuff. And I was not good at marketing and I, I did not have a platform. I had an email list of 66 people. So when I emailed them and said, I've got a new book out, and that happened once a year, maybe half of those people would buy a book. You know, three bucks a pop, 30 people buying, do the math. I can't, I'm not supporting myself through the writing. So I came to a conclusion that I either needed to seriously up that game or quit, just give up writing, something that I had done for 30 years. So I decided to give away a PDF to people to sign up for my list. I wrote this thing called My Five Favorite New England Myths. And I wrote four of the five of them, just non-fiction, uh, historical details of weird, creepy stories from New England, which is where I live. And I wrote four of them, and I realized it was so long that I wouldn't have time to sit down and read it myself. And I, I just didn't think it was a valuable giveaway for somebody to give me their email address. So I, I literally like, dragged it over the trash can. And then I stopped, and I thought, you know, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I'm an Audible fan. I love Audible, and I'm constantly digesting audiobooks that way. Maybe I could record these things in an audio format. Just put the MP3s in a zip file, and that's what people would get if they signed up for my newsletter. So I recorded one of them. And like a bad photo, and you jump into Instagram, and you throw a filter on it, and it looks good. The audio quality was horrible. My, my office is horsehair plaster walls and hardwood floor, and there's nothing acoustically treated about it. So I put some music in the background because it helped. And I sent it to a friend, and I said, all right, I'm going to give these away. This is the first one. What do you think? And he said, he said don't do it. This is a podcast. I said, no, it's not a podcast. A podcast is like two people talking about a, an iPhone update, right? <laughs> a lot of them are. Uh, for hours. For hours. So I, I said, all right, I'm going to trust you on this. And I put out I, basically that thing that I, that first thing that I wrote and that first one that I recorded was episode one. I just put it out there. In two days, I branded it, I built the website. I figured out how to get stuff in iTunes. I found a, you know, a hosting provider through Libsyn. Like I did all that and just crash course two days, learned everything I could, and I put it up. It was an accident. Lore was an accident, all right? But it was an accident that came at the right time. It came when I needed, I needed it. My income for my design business was going down. I wasn't selling books. I was making $5 a month selling paperbacks or and, and eBooks, $5 a month. And you're not gonna support your business doing that. So this came at a really good time for me. I needed this. And maybe that was the driving force behind what I've pushed myself to achieve. Maybe because I looked at this and I said, I have something here, something that I could actually turn into a job if I'm careful, if I work really hard, if I make smart decisions. And so that's where I was at at the, uh, at the beginning of March last year. So the lesson is to be a brilliant writer. Well, that's easy enough. When Aaron gave that presentation, Lore was only 16 months old. I don't know about you, I think I could do this thing for 16 years, and I couldn't write an episode as compelling as Aaron. So, I took the thing that I was pretty brilliant at and built off of that. Another guy who found his something to build off of is Hani Mora. Hani is the founder of Simple Podcast Press, a plug-in and embeddable podcast player that takes a lot of the work of growing your audience off of the podcaster themselves. Hani's got a pretty cool title, too. I've been 
called unofficially the Willy Wonka of automation. So I like that term. So I love automation. I'm an engineer, but I'm also a very lazy person. So automate, keep life simple. I create software, but I also look for easy solutions where you can connect things together, automate steps that you don't have to manually do. Now, automation is key, but it's not like there's still a human aspect, right? We're all podcasters. We connect with our audience. So even though there's automation, I'm going to talk about tools for social media marketing and, and automating that, you still need to follow up and engage with your audience. That's always the key. Like Automating is meant to automate the steps that are tedious. But when it comes to connecting with your audience, you definitely need to be there in person. That's what podcasting is all about. There's a quote here from Bill Gates. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bill Gates. And basically says the whole gist of it is when you automate something, if you don't have a system in place, if you automate a good system, you're going to get good results. If you don't, if your system is broken and you try to automate that, your results are going to be uh, amplified in a negative way. So I guess the key takeaway here is make sure you're documenting your system. So whatever you're doing from publishing to recording to booking guests, document it. Keep it simple, piece of paper, notepad. As long as it's documented, then you can go back, review some of the tools I'm going to talk about. We're going to discuss a few tools that you guys are using and then see where you can apply these tools to improve some of those steps or maybe even cut out a few steps. So definitely first tip here is before we get started into tools is make sure you're documenting your process. You have that written down so you're repeatable and you've got systems in place. Nothing doesn't have to be fancy, but you just need to be doing something that's consistent. By the way, I should mention, if you want to hear all of this great content, from Podcast Movement's past and Podcast Movement 2017 after you attend, then you want to make sure and get the virtual ticket. The team behind Podcast Movement do a great job of packaging up every single keynote or presentation so that you can revisit those through video and audio wherever you want to, whenever you want to, throughout the year. The fact of the matter is, there's just too much content at Podcast Movement to take it all in by yourself. So, load up with the virtual ticket and get it on your terms. All right, so we've met Hani, we've met Jonathan, we've met Aaron, all building businesses in and around podcasting. But it's not all dudes. For example, Shell Hamilton, Nina Babel, and Elsie Escobar are all ladies with businesses in and supported by podcasting, and we're going to hear from all of them this season. But today, remember Ramona Rice from our first episode this season? Podcasting let me quit my job. Ramona found her place in podcasting through relationships, relationships she started at a conference. Oh, this is a good story. So I um, was sent there. I get. I was working a job where I was um, head of content and communications at a really large independently owned real estate firm in Virginia. And I got a conference budget every year. And so this conference happened to, it claimed it did blogging and all this other stuff that was under my parade. It was in my budget and it was in Las Vegas during my husband's birthday. So I thought, perfect, I'll go to a conference, take him out to Vegas for his birthday and we only have to pay for his plane ticket. So when I get there, I meet um, up with Mark Asquith and we become like fast friends and then I meet Jonathan Oaks and we become fast friends and I start going to sessions and I have no idea like Chris Ducker speaking Pat Flynn's there I don't know who Jordan Harbinger I have no idea who any of these guys are I'm like I don't get it I don't know I didn't care I'm having dinner with Mark one night and we were and this is important we were under the elbows of Jordan Harbinger and Pat Flynn and he asked me why my my Twitter handle was sports gal pal and I said oh I used to run this blog where I would explain sports from a women's perspective and I told him a little bit about that he goes 
that'd be a perfect podcast. You should make that a podcast. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I started getting intrigued. So I started asking around the place and everybody's like, oh yeah, you need to make that a podcast. I think everybody just wanted everybody to have a podcast at this conference. So I started listening. I didn't listen to podcasts before this. I didn't know what they were. And I started listening and I found one podcast that was um, women in sports, independent from like ESPN or Fox or the big guys. And I was mad because their first episode was in March of that year. And instead of talking about um, March Madness or baseball or basketball, they were still talking about the Super Bowl. And it just infuriated me because that's what guys think of girls. They think that we only talk about like big things or we only know, you know, really surface level sports stuff and not really the deep in, you know, nitty gritty stuff. And so uh, the last day of the conference, I'm in this like waiting area talking to this really sweet couple. And I start going this rant and I'm really loud and I get so passionate about how I'm upset at these women and how they should be talking about this and that. Well, suddenly this man appears next to me and the man turns out to be Jay Soderberg from Head of Content at Blog Talk Radio. And, um, you know, he created podcasting at ESPN and he says, I love you. I love your passion. I want to give you a show. And then within six weeks, I had a show on Blog Talk and that's how it happened. I was truly and I call myself an accidental podcaster because I'm really an accidental podcaster. I should not be a podcaster. I should not know what this is. I should... I, I should not be in my closet every week um, taping episodes. Um, and yet, because of that, my entire life changed. The trajectory of my life, and I'm so glad it did for so many reasons, changed. Podcasting changed Ramona's life. She's now the community manager for podcast websites. The company Mark Asquith and John Lee Dumas put together as a one-stop shop for podcasters with media hosting, website development, and more. And that's the lesson here. There's not one way to do things. It's all about finding your path and then following it. Or, as Aaron Mankey puts it, So I say all of that to ask you this question that I just want you to keep on your mind the rest of the morning. What's your goal? What's your business goal for your podcast? What is your financial goal? What, what, what's your aim here? What, like, why are you doing the show? Other than passion, other than that you love the topic, other than you're an expert in the field, why are you doing the podcast? Just answer that silently in your head, file it away, and hold on to that. If you're here, you're in two camps, one of two camps. Either your show is hobby effort, okay? And that's what I mean by that is it just takes you a couple hours a week, two, three hours a week. My buddy Dan right there runs a podcast called The Podcast Digest. If you ever want to be interviewed on a show about podcasts, talk to Dan. Um, it's a hobby effort show for him. He has a full-time job, and then he crams in this stuff in nights and weekends, all right? And a lot of us have done that. A lot of us are doing that. And that's a really good place to be. So I don't want you to think that one of these is good and one of these is bad. There's power in being um, hobby effort with your podcast because it means that you've got a full-time job that pays the bills. That's the bridge that's getting you to your monthly bills, right? And you're building a bridge right next to it. And so you get to build that bridge at whatever pace you can at, with no uh, stress or friction. And then when you finally have replaced that bridge with podcast income, you just stop using the other bridge, right? You just leave your job. There's no speed bumps at all. So that's a really cool place to be. There's also full-time effort podcasts. And maybe you have a show like this. It takes you 20, 30, 40 hours a week to put it out the door. And if you're working a full-time job and doing that, you probably don't sleep much and you're probably going crazy. And Lore, for me, was in this camp. Lore takes about 30 to 40 hours to make one episode. Um, I made this conscious decision early on that I'll just do them every other week because otherwise I'll go insane. But I also had a full-time job trying to um, do design work. So we're all in the same boat. We get to the place where you say, I can only do this for so long. Either Lore has to go out the window or my job has to go. And I thankfully got to make the good leap 
which was nice. So monetizing. This is how I make my money, okay? So I want you to hear a few things. This isn't the end-all, be-all list of all ways that you can make money, but it's how I make my money, okay? Second thing that you need to understand is that I'm going to give you some options, and it's not about picking your favorite. The, the key here is many streams make a river, all right? A big river like the Mississippi is big because it has rivers flowing in from all different areas, and those rivers have streams flowing into them. The idea here is to grab a little bit of money a month from this and a little bit of money a month from this, right? And you build all those pieces together. It's like stacking boxes so that you can climb out a window. We're going to hear more from Aaron in a future episode about the different streams that he used to build his business and where lore is going in the future. We might even get couple of hints about the TV series coming sometime this season. And you can hear from Aaron in person if you attend Podcast Movement 2017. In the first episode of this season, we talked to Jared Easley about the origins of Podcast Movement. When we left off, he and Dan Franks had agreed to launch a podcaster-focused event and had asked Gary Leland, Podcast Hall of Famer, and the organizer behind PodCamp Dallas to come on board as well. Okay, who's in? Who's doing it? And and Gary said, well, if I'm going to do it, we got to bring in Mitch Todd. Mitch is the guy that helped me with PodCamp Dallas. And if I'm going to be involved, i got to have Mitch. And so Dan and I were talking. We're like, man, you know, we, we really believe we need Gary because Gary's well-connected with the podcast community, especially people who've been podcasting for a long time. He's got that background, that experience, plus he's got experience doing a local event. Um, if he says Mitch needs to come in, we need to just trust that, you know, that's the right thing to do. So the four of us got together and we said, how do we, how do we move forward with this? And the next idea was we didn't have money or experience to pour into something that would fail. So we decided, hey, let's try a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> None of us had launched a Kickstarter. We didn't know anything about it. We didn't have email lists, Joel. We didn't have any anything. We didn't have money. We didn't have anything. All we had was friends in the podcasting community. So we went to friends and said, hey, we're going to put this together. Will you speak at it? Will you share it with your network? Will you, you know, come? <laughs> you know, all these things. And, and man, I tell you, that was an interesting experience because people were telling us, hey, this is awesome. This is great. Yeah, of course. And and at this time, we man, we were thinking small. I, I mean, it's a little, little funny to think about it now, but I mean, we, we were blown away by the idea of maybe we could get 200 podcasters together, Joel. Maybe we could get lucky and that would happen. <laughs> From that first year hoping for 200 podcasters to expecting 2,000 plus this summer in Anaheim, podcast movement is on the grow. Not just the event, but the Facebook group that continues to provide advice, support, and a sympathetic ear for podcasters year-round. Of course a podcast-specific conference is a good idea. Haven't you been listening to all these great presentations? Jared didn't have three years worth of podcast movement to reminisce on at the time. That's one of the reasons they weren't convinced it could be a success without that little something extra. Then we, we had it in our minds, we've got to get a big-name speaker. <laughs> and at the time, our, our idea of a big-name speaker was Pat Flynn, right? And we still love Pat. Pat is a big-time big speaker. But at the time, we thought, we got to get Pat. Well, we, we approached Pat, and Pat was booked. He wasn't able to do it. So we were like, okay, no problem. You know, who, who, who else can we get? And we, we started throwing around some other names, like Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man, and, and John Dumas, Entrepreneurial Fire. And so we went to Cliff. 
Cliff had um, a relationship with New Media Expo, and because he was uh, technically staff with them, he didn't think that was going to be the right thing to do, being his role with New Media Expo to then uh, help launch a podcast conference that might be in competition with you know, the podcast track at New Media Expo. So he, he reluctantly turned it down. And then we were kind of like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, how are we going to are we going to do this? We need we need a big name. So we went to John Dumas and John also turned us down. And I remember this is a story not many people know, Joel. I remember thinking, wow, this is this is frustrating. You know, we might not be able to pull this off. And Dan and I were talking about it. and I was thinking about it. And we both just agreed, hey, let's go back to John and let's just work out some kind of deal where, all right, John, you don't have to keynote. You don't have to. We just want you there. We'll figure out, you know, what we need to figure out to make that happen. But we just want you there. Will you agree to just be there where you don't have any other responsibility other than being there? And after some conversation, John, I think, was appreciative of our candor and our enthusiasm. And he, he agreed. And, and I'll never forget that moment because I had helped John do his first ever community meetup, the, the Fire Nation meetup, before there was Fire Nation. And we had done that meetup in Las Vegas at the In-N-Out Burger, and there may have been a total of five people at that first meetup. But, but John never forgot that, Joel. And so when we came to him a second time and said, hey, we really want you to be there, he agreed to do it. And... We asked, can we leverage your name? Can we tell people you're going to be a part of this? Can we put your face on the, the Kickstarter? And he agreed to do all those things to allow us to do that. I'll never forget how generous that was. He could have easily been like, no, I don't want you doing that. He didn't treat us that way. He was very professional, very gracious. And at the time, we were super connected with the business podcasters. We weren't connected with, with other circles and podcasting. So this was a big opportunity for us, given that we had to start somewhere. Everyone has to start somewhere. Podcast movement started with Gary, Mitch, Jared, and Dan. It started with a Kickstarter campaign and a couple of phone calls to John Lee Dumas. Ramona Rice started in real estate. Jonathan Oakes started with a simple crossover game. Aaron Mankey started trying to grow his email list. I started as a local DJ. And you? Maybe you're starting right now on your podcast journey. Well... Boy, do I have just the thing for you. Podcast Movement 2017 in Anaheim, California, August 23rd through the 25th. Podcast Movement is definitely my favorite conference. The reality is, is that Podcast Movement served as the foundation for so many of my absolute best relationships in the podcasting world. It's the place where I met people face-to-face that I'd been talking to online and really gotten the chance to hang out with people and get to know them better. What I found is year over year, going in 2015 and meeting so many people, and then going back in 2016 and deepening those relationships and adding new ones to it, it is one of the most rewarding things that I've gotten to do over the past two years. And I absolutely can't wait to be there in Anaheim in 2017. Get tickets, info, hotel reservations, and more at podcastmovement.com. And join the Facebook group. I'm serious. It is a great help for podcasters. Facebook.com slash groups slash podcast movement. Oh, and join me right here again in two weeks for more of Podcast Movement Sessions Season 2. And if you're enjoying the show, give us a rating and review in iTunes. It's a big help. 
My special thanks for this episode to Jared Easley, Ramona Rice, Hani Mora, Aaron Mankey, Alex Bloomberg, and Jonathan Oakes. All right, I'm going to get back to business now. <laughs>